Hey there, listeners. If you're hearing this, then you are about to embark on a journey into paralyzing terror. And a few laughs, too. We at the AOE want to thank you for your love and support and let you know how to get in contact with us. We are on Facebook. Just search The Age of Enfrightenment. On Twitter, at AOE underscore podcast. You can find us on our website, aoepod.com. And best of all, look up The Age of Enfrightenment on iTunes and subscribe. We will be in your feed every two weeks with all things eerie, esoteric, and extraordinary. Enjoy the show. Why, hello! Welcome back to the Age of Enfrightenment podcast. So tentative. It's so nice to be back here with all of you talking about the wonderful things we're going to talk about today. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Nick. Hi. I'm here with my co-hosts. First, there's Dave. Dave, say hi. Hey, guys. And of course, Theo. Well, hey there, pals. This is just delightful. We're off to such a delightful start. Such a, and such a, such a nice time. We're such sweet boys. I, I feel like I, I'm just grinning and smiling because I know how awful things are about to get for the next hour. So yeah. I'm just trying to live in the moment while things are still not terrible. Yeah, so just just a heads up. This is this is a pretty bleak one. Uh, we're, a lot of this stuff we talk about is, is, is fun. And this one, uh, you know, isn't fun. Yeah, we're talking about the 2007 housing market crash. <laughs> well, that oh my god, that actually would be that would be an interesting topic. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why it would fit into our podcast, that, but that would that, be interesting. It'd be still it's pretty bleak though. I mean, we could shit. talk about like uh, billionaires blowing their brains out in the wake of that. That would be no, kind of No, we a happy would just podcast. do a table read of the big short. <laughs> Yeah, that movie was dope. You see that movie? Ooh, can I be can I be Batman? Can I be barefoot Batman from that movie? <laughs> okay, but let's get back to why this episode is going to make you want to kill yourself a little bit. Yeah, so this week we're we're talking about war. Um and and there's a particular reason why. And so I had reached out to the guys about doing this as a topic because I was recently reading a comic called Baltimore by the horror master Mike Mignola, who most people know from Hellboy. And it's set in World War I, but the war has come to an abrupt stop because Europe has been overrun by vampires and monsters and demons. Did that because, really happen? What's that? Did that really happen? Well, yeah, obviously. I mean, we're going to spend the next... We're going to spend the next hour talking about how that actually happened. Okay. <laughs> I kind of remember learning about that in school. <laughs> yeah. Was, Theo and I went to Catholic school, so when it wasn't wars, it was mostly vampires and how to and how to stave them off with garlic and prayer. <laughs> There's, like, a surprising amount of vampires mentioned in the Bible. There's a surprising amount of vampires in our school growing up. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the interesting thing about it is it, it's one part sort of, like, period piece horror but i think the way that it reads is really interesting because it's very clearly inspired by the real life horror so it almost acts as a metaphor that because of the horrific acts and kinds of warfare that was waged in world war one that was new to the world it sort of unleashed a new era of human murder and suffering into the world and that's sort of how how the story plays out is 
the world has become a dark and evil place because of this. And I think there's a lot of interesting, though terrifying reasons from history why that kind of becomes a thing. And maybe you guys have felt this way before also, but I know for me, I always think it's weird the way that culturally we look at war and probably always have. So my example would be in movies. So we have horror movies and we have war movies. And those are seen as genres that are like separate from each other. And I always thought that was kind of weird because I, I feel like if you take the first five minutes of Saving Private Ryan, there's probably more dismemberment and gore and just sheer horror than you'd find in most slasher films. And I think it speaks to the way that we like glorify war as if it's not just wholesale murder. <laughs> And it's, ter- and it's terrifying through and through. <laughs> well, this just might be me being cynical, but I, I feel like a lot of the reason that war is glorified and seen as, you know, this honorable, noble thing and we don't treat it as the way we would treat things in horror movies is because if we did, people would stop going to war. Right. You know. <laughs> that that I think that's kind of uh, that's kind of the conclusion I came to as well is especially and granted I would say there are definitely lots of people the world over. There's soldiers, for one, and then refugees, and, and lots of people who do know how horrifying war is and would hear this and think, like, duh. But most of us in the Western world get to look at war as something separate from human suffering and devastation. We know that it's there, but we don't see it the same way we do see, you know, a bunch of campers getting chased by by Jason Voorhees. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought it was interesting to look into it this way and not to disrespect and say like, you know, soldiers are bullshit, man. Like it's not that it's, <laughs> I think <laughs> you're on this again. <laughs> <laughs> I think what it really is, is let's look at some firsthand accounts and some of the realities of what life was war. And then you come to your own conclusion and tell me that's not the most terrifying horror premise you've ever heard of in your life. I don't think yeah. I've ever heard in this research, I don't think I've come across many horror stories that have actually sickened me as much as some of the stuff that I've looked into. Yeah, I think the big thing that I found last night, uh, because, spoiler alerts, a lot of the research I did we will not be talking about in this episode. <laughs> um, it made me realize that war happens for a lot of reasons. However, in war, there are certain individuals who not during wartime would maybe be kind of crazy might do things like torture small animals and eventually start killing prostitutes but put them in a theater of war and they're allowed to really flourish right they're allowed to be heroes potential (laughs) yeah they're allowed to be nationally decorated and it is a really bizarre meal ticket for psychopaths throughout history yeah yeah, now, mind you, I, like, huge, huge disclaimer at the beginning of all of this. Uh, we love our veterans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, <laughs> we love what not, you guys do. We're not doing this to be disrespectful. Uh, obviously, American veterans are very, very valued, and, you know, there's we all have a lot of respect for them. Um, so we're just we're just doing this because we're a podcast about weird and scary stuff, and there's some real weird and scary stuff that goes on during wartime. But you know we're we're it's it's a grim subject, but we're gonna try and have some fun with it. We're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna pal around and and be which goofballs. is why I'm putting on my clown wig <laughs> as we speak. 
We're gonna make but some jokes. We're gonna we're gonna do it respectfully though. Uh, so I, I'll say this up front before I get into the meat of my my piece of this. We all sort of focused. We we looked at things in general, but we all kind of honed in on one particular war in really the modern era, the ma- the last uh, century. Um, which was kind of weird that we all gravitated to that. There's wars have literally always been going on forever, but we seem to really gravitate to the ones that we know about. So we could do a bunch of these episodes, but what we're going to focus on mostly today is World War One and Vietnam. And the reason for that being, Dave did a bunch of great research on World War Two, but it will come as no surprise to anyone that should really be and could be its its own episode so we'll be back with that stuff so if you're listening to this wondering like what kind of monsters are they that they're not talking about <laughs> the nazis being the most horrifying thing in wars we'll get to it just not in this sort yeah. of foundational episode also no, nick, i'm sorry go ahead Dave. nick and i uh you know just we didn't want to have time restraints and uh ed doesn't believe that the holocaust happened so, you know, between mutually, that's why we're not covering Right. Everybody came out with it's what they wanted. It's not that I don't believe. It's that I just don't <laughs> care. That, that just stop, stop right there. Stop right there. We're already in a hole. You dug this hole, Dave. Don't get pissed at me. Speaking just, of digging holes. Bit. Uh, I didn't think you would yes and my Holocaust <laughs> denying riff. <laughs> How's this for a transition? Speaking of digging holes, let's talk about World War One. The Ooh. war that happened almost exclusively in holes. So a lot of people, I think, would agree that World War I is not as... I don't want to say popular because that makes it seem like a good thing, but that probably is the best word in well, like American myth. Some of the verbiage around the, the wars is kind of, I don't know, confusing because when I was researching this, I did a lot on Vietnam, and I had this thought like, ooh, Vietnam's my favorite war. <laughs> and that's right, and it's like hold on it's not my favorite yeah i'm not i'm not into it but it's super interesting and cool and well no it's not cool and that's the thought process i had so yeah it's weird territory <laughs> yeah so thinking about world war one for me i think part of the reason why world war one gets kind of a back seat is because in it, the way that it was fought it had a lot of really stark differences to World War II. So they used a lot of the same weapons, though they were more advanced, you know, 20 years later by the time, or 30 years later by the time World War II broke out. But we have machine gun and the, the beginning of aerial battle and things like that. But World War I was very much a hands-on horror show because even though there was the, the sort of beginnings of things like the machine gun and things that were used like that, a lot of it was very hand-to-hand. So when people talk about the trenches, that was it cut through basically most of Europe. It cut Europe in half and was literally trenches that were sometimes just a matter of yards away from each other. So you've got uh, the Allied side, the French and the British on one side, you've got the Germans and the Austrians on the other side, and they can hear each other talking. That's how close they are. And this would go on for months and months, living in holes under the ground and occasionally standing up to try and kill each other. So it was a really weird like camping situation that people were stuck in, and it got really gross and really terrifying very quickly. 
So let me just go through some of the things that I'm calling the recipe for horror. So first of all, most of the millions of people who died in World War I, soldiers who died, were not career soldiers. And World War II, I think, has a, is basically the same. But it was such a big war that most people were like, I'm going to stop being a farmer today and I'm going to go kill people tomorrow. So we've got 17 to 18-year-old boys and they're living in pits in the ground. Uh, the Western Front barely moved. The war went on for four years, and it basically stayed roughly the same as a stalemate until the armistice came. Most men uh, would be shot down only 50 yards after going over the top, as they called it. So you'd have a push, you'd all stand up, you'd climb your way up the mud, you'd make it maybe enough to get a first down in football, and then you'd get mowed down by machine gun fire, or worse. So this was like regular life for them. Um, What was also the thing that I think nobody thinks about is all the ways that people died that had nothing to do with the fighting. So millions of soldiers, millions died uh, from infectious diseases in the trenches. They were living with rats and insects. I think there was like the, the... ratio for of like rat to person is not calculable but it's pretty astronomical there were reports of rats being as big as house cats in the trenches because it was like their ideal situation and they rats maggots and flies would basically feast on everyone not just the corpses because most people had gangrenous feet because the the trenches were always flooded So that's something that I don't think you see in war movies a lot is that they're basically always standing in up to a foot or two feet of water and they would get trench foot, which would be like gangrenous and many of them would have their legs amputated. So this is going on constantly. Reports of the stench of battlefields said that you could smell it from like miles away. Well, so I imagine they don't have, you know, toilets in the trenches either. They don't, they don't have toilets. They don't really have good medical supplies. So the mixture in the air for literally, you know, miles was shit, piss, rotting corpses, which were barely buried because it was so muddy all the time. So most of the time, you might be standing next to the leg of your dead friend that you couldn't get all the way under the ground. Um, Remnants of poison gas, which I'm definitely going to get into, um, and chlorine, which they would just kind of pour around the place, which was meant to sanitize and ended up probably doing more harm than good. And then, of course, on top of all that gunpowder and the constant barrage of noise that would give people shell shock and drive them insane so that's all sort of the the fun general stuff one thing uh that that i also thought was interesting and disgusting was that they would often have their faces wrapped in scarves and granted they had their gas masks for chlorine gas and and mustard gas but they also basically always had to have their faces covered in some way because it would keep them from swallowing flies because the air was so heavy with them that just breathing in you could breathe in a mouthful of flies at any given moment. Jesus Christ. Yes. So all of this stuff is going on. Oh, and then also the other little thing is is lice. And this was kind of interesting. And in that comic I talked about, Baltimore, they haven't addressed it in the comic, but he in the flashback scenes, he has hair. And in the future scenes, he has a, he has a shaved head. And I thought what was interesting, maybe it's just to make him look uh, ruddy or you know make him look tough. But apparently most soldiers shaved their bodies from head to toe because lice were so ubiquitous in the trenches 
that they would kind of just get in your clothing and stay there. So even if you were, if you got rid of your pubes, your chest hair, your the hair on your head, your beard, you'd still be kind of eaten alive by lice all the time. And this would go on for, you know, maybe six months to a year in the six foot space that you have to live. So it was literally hell on earth in every single way. So J.R.R. Tolkien fought in World War One, he he was a soldier, and this is before he wrote Lord of the Rings. And a lot of the stuff that you're saying is kind of hitting home because in the books he describes Mordor, the 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 land where the the orcs and Sauron, the evil, live, and he talks about how the very air is poison and how like plants won't grow and just it's awful and hellish and it's it's right. crazy because like he's describing this this fictional fairy tale place and it's based off of europe at the time yeah so that atmosphere that tolkien creates in lord of the rings that's based on this comes from a lot of stuff number one war is hell anyway but the bulk of what i want to talk about as far as warfare goes is all about the gases and i think they played a huge part in what made the atmosphere so noxious and deadly and also kind of like you said no plants would grow there and that was all very real to world war one so remind me was world war one the first time that chemical weapons were really used to like uh to affect yeah it was definitely the first time it was used sort of wholesale so people had been experimenting with it since like the mid 1800s so it showed up in small conflicts here and there or in situations i think maybe even like police action situations where they're trying to control crowds but this was the first time that like the world watched as thousands upon thousands of people were dying from gas attacks and yeah. really the worst that it's ever been it's definitely been used in other wars um, including vietnam but not to the degree as it was in world war one just because it was the beginning so people were just using it with wild abandon and both sides didn't really for years have a good way to counteract it so kind of getting into it i want to focus most of it on mustard gas because that's sort of the linchpin of horror when it comes to gases during World War I. So mustard gas is made of carbon, sulfur, chlorine, hydrogen, all pretty terrible things in their own right to be consuming and when mixed together make a really actually lethal concoction. So it was created by this dude Frederick Guthrie in 1860. So again, in the mid-1800s, people were experimenting with how do we hurt other people with this? Um, but it really came into its own in the trenches. So there's a yellow hue, which is where it gets its name from. Um, for a long time, I thought maybe there was like an actual mustard component to it. Like, I don't know, mustard spicy, yeah. maybe. It's, yeah, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's absolutely an irritant. Yeah, um, but it has more to do with the, with the color is why they called it that. So that's terrifying in its own that all of a sudden the whole battlefield is a yellow hue. As I'm you're really having... glad that you explained that because I have never understood why it was called mustard gas. And <laughs> I'm 29 and the point where it was okay for me to ask why is... <laughs> It's gone. long gone. <laughs> Years gone. That was like that was like history. That was like your first history class in, in high school. That was your chance to ask. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, so it has the yellow hue. It makes a horrible hissing noise when it's coming out of the canister, just like in the movies. Um, it has an overwhelming garlicky smell. 
and it's considered a blister agent. So this is the part that I think a lot of people probably don't know because we all have the pictures in our minds of the, the scary gas masks that you can see in different horror stories and the Denver airport and creepy murals. Um, <laughs> but the, the gas masks, okay, sure, when they finally invented those, which was kind of too late, helped you not breathe it in. But being a blister agent, it actually did a ton of harm to people's exposed skin. And no one came up with a good, like, hazmat suit to block it out until 1945. So, right. or, not, or no, sorry, 19, like, 20. So after World War One. So, Guys, good news. We got it. <laughs> <laughs> right after our second World War, we got it. Um, so what would happen is people put their masks on. They'd be like, okay, I'm in the clear. They'd wait for it to all settle in the ground. And then they'd say, okay, we're good. You take it off. You'd probably feel good for a couple of days. And then all of a sudden you would get these horrible boils and blisters on your skin because of what had affected you days before. So that was kind of interesting to me because gas attacks were always said, like, you know, in the movies, it's like the second it's over, everybody takes their mask off and they're like, we're cool now. But no, you're not. (laughs) So dangerous levels of it could stay active in the ground for like literally weeks. So you could stumble upon an old battleground and see like rotting corpses and be like oh a battle happened here a month ago and you could still be inflicted with mustard gas poisoning some of the symptoms irritation burning eyes uh burning nose throat that completely closes up and is blocked up uh total blindness blocked airways intense abdominal pain and like catastrophic diarrhea to the point where you could shit yourself to death Jeez. Yeah. Jeez. Fuck. Um, and it often occurred later from pneumonia. So there's also a ton of deaths that maybe aren't even totally accounted for, for people who like came home with pneumonia and it wasn't actually attributed to mustard gas and it should have been. So half of all men, and this is like crazy to me. So half of all of the people who were exposed while not wearing a resp- respirator died. So if a gas attack happened and you didn't get your mask on, it's a flip of a coin whether or not you're going to die from it. So that's pretty, that's way more lethal than I think I ever imagined it, for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and your skin was left, if your skin was left exposed and heavily aff- affected, I mean, that could have just as bad of a, of a situation. So it really kind of didn't matter. Um, you're going to get hurt by it one way or the other. The legacy of it has been insane. It was heavily used by uh, Iraqi troops against the U.S., um, which later caused a whole cons- a whole bunch of like sort of war crime uh, accusations. It, it created the UN Chemical Weapons Convention, which banned it. Um, which I always feel is kind. I mean, it's a good thing, but it's kind of silly whenever things in war are banned because like you're still murdering each other on a mass level. But yeah. that's how bad gas is. That like we can have nukes, but nobody's allowed to have gas. And they were actually considered the first. I think technically they are the first weapons of mass destruction were the, the gases because of their ability to kill so much better than even like the machine gun or, or a tank. The psychological terror those men must have felt that at any moment the air around them could become poisonous. I can't fathom. I, it's pretty insane. And I read some pretty spooky firsthand accounts. So there was a BBC series in the sixties called the great war. And when it came out, it was still, fresh enough in people's minds and people who lived through it that it was kind of trumped up and like let's look into the history of the war and it was like very you know like very you know 
triumphant and warlike. What they left out were all of these firsthand interviews with World War One veterans that were really bleak and read kind of like a horror movie. So they left them out, and I think they came out a couple years ago, or like 2014 maybe, on the BBC. And I want to go back and watch all of them. Um, but just for a little taste, this is one of the quotes from John Palmer, who was a gunner in the British Royal Field Artillery. So he said, I found myself sinking down in the mud, and this time I didn't worry about the mud. I didn't hate it anymore. It seemed like a protective blanket covering me, and I thought to myself, well, if this is death, it is not so bad. He was actually rescued after that, and not particularly happy about it at first. Um, Pretty insane. The same guy actually admitted to considering throwing himself in front of a horse-drawn carriage of ammunitions just so he'd be severely injured by being trampled by horses and then he'd and then be able to go home. Um, and that's in a one big, of yeah. In one of um, the psychology classes I took in college, we were learning about um, PTSD and what one of the the fallouts from World War One was soldiers coming home with a condition that they called shell shock. And shell shock is now what we would call post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. And they had video and it was like, well, not video, film, because it was still a very new technology, but of these these British soldiers. And there, there was two that I remember distinctly. One was a man who loud noises would freak him out, like the way that a dog freaks out when it hears thunder or something like that. And so it's just somebody shouting at him. And then him just hiding under a bed in like in the hospital that he's at. And another one was this man who was um, he, he would be triggered from seeing an officer's hat because he would have, you know, just flashbacks of these officers screaming at him to, you know, go over the top and run onto like the field of battle. And it had somebody holding an officer's hat in front of him and the man just losing control and breaking oh. down. And, like, in a way that you could not fake. Uh, it, it was like, you know, holding, like, a, a scary mask in front of, like, a little kid. It's so and, it's so upsetting. <laughs> and in retrospect, it was kind of shitty of these people to, like, do this shit to these guys. But, like, I guess they had to record the, the outcome so they had actual proof about what it was doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, there are some haunting photos that we might post. There's one in particular I'm thinking of that, um is just of a soldier in the trenches. Clearly, he had not got it out yet that had just almost like a Batman Joker-esque smile on his face. Oh, I know like exactly his, what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah his mind that. had just snapped, and it is terrifying, and it sucks that those experiments had to happen, but it's it probably gave us the grounding uh, of learning what the disease was. Yeah. The beginnings, the very beginnings of how to deal with it. And I think we still really don't have a great handle. I mean, a hundred years later and really millennia later, since all wars had started, we don't, I really feel like we don't have a true understanding of what like PTSD means, unless you've been through it. Like, I, I don't think culturally, I think we all have a good handle on like, cancer eats away at the body and we have to fight it and like i think if people attacked doing something about ptsd with the same gusto as cancer there could be more done but it's just such an intangible thing like i can't imagine where my mind would have to be to see a hat and have the same visceral reaction that you just described theo 
Like, it's, yeah. I think it's the thing about war that that terrifies me so much. It, of all the things that we talk about on this podcast, I think I'm fascinated by this because it's probably one thing that it's like I genuinely don't know how I would handle being in a situation, especially like this, where it doesn't even feel like in the trenches you're fighting it for anything it just feels like hope is lost and you're trapped Mm -hmm. yeah and it's like you said about us not really having a real grip on ptsd and its effects you're absolutely right and a lot of times uh people going through that don't understand it i used to work years and years ago i worked at a pretzel factory and i worked with this dude named matt who was just a real real wonderful kind guy I, i really liked him and he was out of high school. He enlisted, and he was um, a soldier in Iraq. And he came back, and I remember um, talking to him one day, and he told me how he, the night before, he says, I guess I was sleepwalking, but I woke up, and I was in my parents' bedroom with my gun aimed at them. Oh, my God. Yeah, and he said, like, his Ugh. parents were, like, he woke up because his parents were screaming and he said, like, he had no idea what he was doing. His parents said that he was shouting and that he just woke up with his pistol aimed at him. And I was like, Jesus, man, are you OK? And I remember what he said. He's like, I thought I was. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? It like it sneaks in. I, I think yeah. so much of the research that, that I did for this is like the sort of visceral stuff. But I wanted to dig into it as much as possible because I wanted to understand that, like, if you put together all of the really horrific things that I just explained about the trenches, it's, I can't imagine a single person walked away without severe cycle. They might've been able to hide it better than each other, mm-hmm. but it's, it just sounds like nothing else anyone could ever experience. Even in like the worst horror movies, it just sounds like absolute oh, yeah. hell. Yeah. I have to imagine after a while, some of those men uh, probably actually thought they were in biblical hell. Right. Like, I mean, yeah. it matches all the right descriptions for sure. Fire, the, yeah. the, the earth itself is irreparably fucked up. Right. Uh, and it's made up of the bodies of your friends who died weeks before you. So, I mean, yeah. it, it would literally get to that point because they couldn't move and they couldn't even get transport in and out most of the time. You're just piling people up and standing on them while you take shots at the other side. And, you know, from a distance of like a basketball court, you're you're literally looking Germans or British soldiers, whatever side you're on in the eyes. And for the most part, just being terrified of each other. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not the same like, oh, let's go. Let's go get, you know, the Huns. It's a lot of the accounts that I read were like, we just didn't know what to do. You know, they put us there and we just stayed there and tried to live. And that was and that was both sides. There was very hard, I think, for people in the trenches to have even the remotest idea about why they were there or why it even mattered. So that's World War One, Super fun. Eesh. And that's why we... I, I really think that's why we don't make a lot of, like, triumphant uh, or even comedic movies about World War One as opposed to World War Two. I think, granted, part of it's, like, the mythos of Nazism and how appealing that is from a story perspective, but I also think... It's hard to make a World War One story without it being a horror story. It it just yeah. seems like the perfect setting for it. Yeah, there's actually a very good World War One horror movie. Ed, you and I watched it together. Uh, it takes place in the trenches. Wonder oh one. my god! Yeah. No, they fuck like that movie. they literally they enter hell. Like man, they enter what limbo. The, what the hell was that called? Just, Andy Circus is in it. 
Hmm. Yeah. It's it was really good. Yeah, we watched that with Carl. I, I honestly I forgot about it until you just brought it up. Well, it's, what the fuck was that called? Well, it's interesting that you say that too. That it's like entering actual hell because that's um I don't know if anyone listening has read the the darkness the comic book or played the the very short lived video game. Um, the video game was actually pretty cool. But part of what would happen is the lead character would go into this like hell landscape where he's actually like leaving our plane and going into hell. And the way hell re- was represented to him in his mind, it was literally just World War One. It would be like crucified bodies, which was a real thing that people did. That's not just from biblical times. And all of these really hellish like landscapes that all took place with like gas masks and and the whole nine and, you know, mustard gas just constantly filling the air. It's it really yeah. is perfect spooky material. By the way, that movie is called Death Watch. Death Watch. Okay, I gotta um, watch that again. That was really cool. I gotta watch that too. Yeah, Sounds it's good. got a whopping twenty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes, but really? it is it's but it's a good horror movie. It's terrifying. Yeah, yeah, and it it, it really fucks with you. Cool. Um, so you know, World War Terrible was World One was fucking terrible, but we got this movie out of it, so. <laughs> You so, know. so it all came out just right, and we got I'd Wonder say, and we got I'd Wonder Woman out of it. it. Uh, Wonder Woman's dumb. So, what we probably don't talk about enough in this podcast is Theo has lost all of his ability to enjoy charming films, and he's been a real curmudgeon about it for the past no, year. Or so. I love charming films. It was just a bad movie. I don't even talk to him about movies anymore. <laughs> You guys are making it seem a lot worse than it actually is. It's pretty bad. So we're telling you as your friends. It's I think pretty you bad. guys just like shitty movies. <laughs> Not my fault. Uh, it's uh, anyway. So let's jump forward yeah, a little bit sw- in history. <laughs> yeah, let's let's move forward about fifty years and uh, go to a war that lasted way too long and accomplished virtually nothing. Yeah. So Vietnam. Uh, and Nick and I really didn't plan it this way, but I think there's a lot of parallels between Vietnam and World War I. Uh, they were both considered modern wars in that it was the first time that these really new, really exciting technologies were featured in combat. And it made for a really hellish experience. Um, there were also... Um, like you said about World War One, is that it's it's hard to find like levity in it. Vietnam is the same way. Um, I mean, you can't really make a happy, lighthearted movie set during the Vietnam War in Vietnam, except for Operation Dumbo Drop. That was that was <laughs> that was fun and, for everybody. And, and and Good Morning Vietnam. You know what? I actually never saw that one. Yeah, but even that gets really bleak. Yeah, it does. Like, it does I've, get real I've heavy. I've probably cried harder during a particular scene in that movie than almost any other movie i've seen it's really good and theo you'll actually like that movie robin i'm williams. sure i will I love maybe yeah. <laughs> maybe <laughs> shut up um so vietnam um we can think back to it now and we think about vietnam as being something that really just cracked america's psyche uh it it did some very long-standing damage to America. Uh, the way that we view our government, uh, the way that we view citizens who become soldiers, it just it did a lot of damage that we're really just kind of coming out the other side of in modern times. 
And that's because Vietnam, the Vietnam War was just, it was just fucking bonkers. You have an example of a incredibly well-funded, uh, well-manned and technologically superior army coming up against a very primitive one. So the the North Vietnamese soldiers and the, the Southern Viet Cong were greatly outnumbered by American soldiers, but you see this happen again and again in warfare because people just don't learn from history, but an aggressive advanced civilization coming into contact with an, a less advanced civilization and trying to take over. And what the less advanced civilization doesn't have in technology or firepower or manpower, they tend to make up for in savagery. Right. Or just just brute war tactics, you know, like really because I think savagery even like doesn't do enough say to like there was intelligent things that I think they did. So it wasn't savage in that nature, but like, yeah, but like the brutality of it exactly. is so intense. That's, you're, yeah, you're, you're right. It's that the the, Viet, the Vietnamese were not stupid people. They right. were just, you know, they th- some horrors, horrors. Yeah. Uh, so and horrors. Sorry. And horrors. Well, yeah, well <laughs> I had to say one really <laughs> insensitive thing about Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> um. So one of the things about Vietnam that made it such a awful, awful experience for U.S. soldiers, and it's something that doesn't get spoken about that much. It does in a sort of joking way, but U.S. soldiers in Vietnam were incredibly drugged up. So um, the U.S. military actually supplied their own soldiers, American citizens, with what they call pet pills which we now know to be amphetamines. And they just would give them to them as part of like their rations. And it was supposed to be, okay, you guys got this and your superior officers are going to regulate it. And then they just wouldn't. Right. It um, was just out there for them to take like M&Ms. Right, exactly. And in their like their medical kits, their, the kits that they would have, their first aid kits would have um, codeine and Darvon in them. So painkillers. Mm-hmm. Um. And they were also in a country that did not regulate drugs the way that America or, you know, other more um, other first world um, countries would. So soldiers could go into like Vietnamese cities and they can get weed and coke and acid and heroin and they could get it for pennies, you know, a fraction of the cost they could get it at home. There's just drugs are rampant and when soldiers are experiencing trauma their um the the medical professionals over there were loading them up with uh antipsychotics which you know they're they're treating a symptom not a you know not the not the 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 root of it so you have all these soldiers who are doing loads of drugs and having awful experiences and the, the doctors that they're going to are saying, we're going to fix this with more drugs. Yeah. And, and something interesting, too, and, and maybe you'll you'll get to this, but I know. So my uncle was in, in Vietnam and he was a bit of a troublemaker before that. And that's actually what landed him there. Um, this was a pretty common story, I think, at the time. And it was certainly my uncle's story. He basically had the option of like, all right, 
prison or war. Um, and that was an option that was handed to a lot of troubled young people at the time because of the draft. And it's an easy way to fill your army. But you'd have a lot of people like my uncle who already struggle with drugs who could really use a completely different environment. And then you put them in this environment where it's like, we're going to ask you to do horrible things that are going to make you want to do drugs. Uh, you're going to be in a terrible climate that's always rainy. You're always sick. That's going to make you want to do more drugs. And then on top of that, it's like the actual trauma that you're experiencing that makes you want to do drugs. So oh, yeah. it just really is, it's like the perfect storm of like, you've brought the, the exact wrong people to the wrong place and given them all the wrong things. And that is why so many Vietnam vets, like their lives are just ruined after and that. And this war took place during the 60s and 70s, which was a time when, you know, America's relationship with drugs was changing drastically. So, you know, the average person was way more open-minded to pharmaceuticals than they would have been, you know, in the 50s or right. even now. Yeah, I can I can actually uh, add on top of what you just said, Nick, because I also had a family member in Vietnam uh, who was just standard infantry, and uh, he never had a problem, was a good southern boy, uh, and got into heroin during Vietnam. And he said, if you ask him about it, he was like, they'd have us lie down in the jungle for hours mm. waiting. And he was like, there would be like tarantulas crawling all over you and everything. And he was like, it was just easier to like do a powerful opioid and just like fall asleep until, you know, suddenly there's a footprint by you and right. like the enemy is on top of you. Right. You wake yeah, up like, holding your, your gun and just start taking shots as you're coming, oh yeah. as you're coming out of, you know, or not yeah. even coming out of while you're still crazy hopped up. <laughs> Yeah, you know, unlike World War II, which had a draft, I feel like, because my, my, my parents were sophomores in 1968 in college, like, and a, a lot of their friends got drafted and sent over. The difference between that and World War II is I feel like everyone had a real sense of, like, we have to go get these guys mm -hmm. in World War II. It was like they are as evil as evil can be. With Vietnam, it was like a very... Uh, it was like a very polarizing topic and not everyone was sure we could be there. But then all of a sudden your number could come up and it was like, no, you have to go. Yeah. Like you have to go. We're going to drop you into hell. I think like, and you have to fight. I think Vietnam and Korea really set the tone for the kind of wars that we have now. Like the last really clearly drawn war that we had probably was World War Two. War has always been this to a degree, but it's become increasingly more these quagmires that are very ill-defined and probably have a lot more to do with the free market and who's holding their oil and who's not like war has become and it's it's also partially because we have more information so by the by the 60s and 70s in vietnam people knew that a lot of the war was total bullshit whereas even in World War One, which was also super murky and and not something that was very popular in the U.S., by the time we got into it, the propaganda machine did a good job of convincing you why we were there. Whereas in Vietnam, it's there's TV, there's movies, there, you're constantly being bombarded with music that talks about it. Like the truth was out there about what bullshit it was while it was happening, and that was like the first war that people were like, "Fuck this, I don't even care." Meanwhile, we still have people there that aren't getting any support because they're like, nobody at home wants us here. I'm just stuck in hell 
hooked on drugs for no reason. And that yeah. it like changed warfare in that way. Vietnam is also the first time in American history where African Americans are not just like allowed in the armed forces in mass, but are encouraged. Yeah. So this is all happening at a time at home when the civil rights era is in full swing. And now, you know, you, you have black families whose uh, whose children, whose sons are going off to fight this war when at home they're fighting for basic human rights. So that's another one of the factors that led to it being like an incredibly unpopular war. Right. Yeah. Uh, and just the the way that Vietnam, the, the combat in Vietnam, it wasn't like World War One, where there was, you know, this very clearly defined battleground, the trenches. Uh, or and it wasn't even like World War Two, where there was like a lot of give and take and these big battles that took place in huge cities and in fields and things like that. I, there were to a certain extent in Vietnam, but the, the bulk of it was men trudging through jungles and small mm. towns and villages and the the enemy the the vietnamese soldiers would they would hide they would hide in trees and you wouldn't see your opponent you would just suddenly be you know fired upon from the tree line and they would make systems of tunnels that they would use to travel underground so there'd be soldiers who were referred to as tunnel rats and their job was to go into these underground tunnels with a flashlight in one hand and a pistol in the other and make sure there weren't any enemies in there Oh, my God. And so you don't know where the enemy's coming from. And this, like I said, technology, it was a big factor of it. So the M16 debuted in Vietnam. And the M16, the as it was used then, isn't used now because it was an incredibly unreliable weapon. It would break constantly. It would jam. It would overheat. Um and, you know, I, I gave you all the list of all the drugs that the, the American soldiers are on. Um, another one that they don't really talk about is about how American soldiers were given steroids. Oh, my God. Just to like yeah. just to like jack them up and get them like psyched exactly. to fight. Yeah. So yeah. this was an example of America having all these new toys to play with and literally no understanding of the repercussions. So you have these American soldiers who are on amphetamines. Um, in some cases given steroids not it wasn't like standard issue steroids but uh, like special forces were given steroids but still more people more soldiers were given steroids than should have been so right. I mean I mean to be fair any soldiers given steroids <laughs> yeah. is more really soldiers than should have been over zero is too yeah. many except but for so the worse. little weaklings from Brooklyn that then become superheroes that's the well, one that's time not, where we're roiding up somebody that's, that's Vita Rays so it's, it's totally different it is totally uh, different I apologize yeah so war brings out the worst in people right and I feel On like every that's side. a dumb thing to say because yeah no shit but it just the, the psychological effects on you just completely break you down as a, as a human. So Vietnam, all of these factors we just discussed led to American soldiers being, you know, aggravated and anxious and terrified and full of rage, every awful emotion. And a lot of atrocities were committed by American soldiers. Right. And I mean, it'd be unfair to say that every soldier in Vietnam was a murdering psychopath and they weren't 
But I want to talk about one group of soldiers who absolutely war- were, and I think defined our idea of like the crazy Vietnam soldier. So there was a long-range reconnaissance patrol called Tiger Force. They named themselves Tiger Force, obviously. (laughs) I love that all of the horrible things you're about to say are preceded by what sounds like a Saturday morning cartoon. Like, (laughs) Tiger Force is a very marketable name for children's Mm -hmm. clothing. Oh, absolutely. See, the Vietnam War was full of really awful, horrific things that had really cool names. So, like I said, Tiger Force was a long-range reconnaissance patrol. So they were they were basically scouts. They would be dropped behind enemy lines and they would stay there for months on end to like map territory and be able to, you know, report back to the the main force where encampments were, where the troops were, where the troops weren't. So they were paratroopers and there was um, 45 of them originally. And they at the time they were known for being vicious. So they had three companies. The group, the the patrol was made up of three companies. So A, B, and C. They named their companies. A was the assassin company. B was the barbarian company. And C was the cutthroat company. Hmm. So super badass. (laughs) Right. I guess, I mean, I guess that's, at the very least, you do want your war patrols to have badass names. Right. But keep in mind, this is American soldiers. Right. Um... So, like I said, they did all sorts of atrocious stuff, but nobody really knew the bulk of it. Then in 2003, um, a reporter at the um, a newspaper called The Blade out of Toledo. Why a newspaper is called The Blade? No idea. <laughs> well, because they write about Tiger Force. It's like the official yeah, newsletter of Tiger Force, The Blade. It really fits the theme. <laughs> It really does. But they published um, reports that up to that point had been confidential. And it was about um, the Army's internal investigation of Tiger Force through the um, Criminal Investigation Command from the Army. So, like, the, the Army's legal department. Right. And it turns out in the 70s there had been these, like, hearings and injunctions because Tiger Force committed actual things that we would consider war crimes. I think the actual number of alleged war crimes was 243. Jesus. Christ. Do we From know? I want to look it up if, we, if you don't have the number. Do we know how that matches up to, like, the Nuremberg trials? I That's really interesting. I think I'll, I'll look that up I'd later. Be, but I don't I'd be intrigued because that's kind of yeah. everyone's go-to for, like, the worst war crimes ever tried all at once. So it would be, yeah. it would be really interesting to see how they compare. So, from May to November 1967, uh, Tiger Force just cut a swath through Vietnam, and their list of war crimes, alleged war crimes, uh, torture, execution, um, they, the idea of Vietnam soldiers um, killing citizens and taking their ears and making necklaces with the ears is something that the Tiger Force guys did. Right. Um, they, they collected scalps. Which is why it's right. made me think of Inglorious Bastards. Um, yeah. They murdered civilians and would plant weapons to make it look that like they were um, oh. enemies. So they're like the LAPD. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, rape. They were big fans of that. Uh, sure, there's sure. A, uh, two of the specific instances that I found was uh, one of their soldiers cut the head off a baby. 
Oh, and no. then in front of his mother. Oh. And they had a practice they would refer to as using mine dogs, which is when they would come to areas that they thought might have landmines, they would test this out by sending civilian, Vietnamese civilians, into the area. And if they made it through, they were fine. If they blew up, they're like, well, guess we can't go that way. There's mines. Right. So the this is 2003 that the report came out. Uh, not a lot of noise was made about it. And nobody was ever um, held accountable for any of this. Of course, nobody not. saw any jail time. Oh, so these guys are still around. Yes. Which and it. See, this is one of those things that I that I always ha- have trouble with when people are like, "Well, it was war, and we had to do terrible things." Stuff like this, I don't, I cannot fathom. These guys going through all that, becoming basically savage beasts coming mm-hmm. home and then just being like, all right, I'm just going to go be a car salesman now. Like there's, I, I just find it really hard to believe those guys, those particular guys, not all soldiers, but tiger force didn't come home and continue being Hannibal Lecter basically. Exactly. Like how can you do these kind of things and still be a human and then turn it off? Yeah. It's, right. it's really hard to imagine. Yeah. So really fucked up. Was it? Yeah at all what I thought I was going to find out about when I found an American, you know, platoon called Tiger Force. Right. It seems like they should be fighting like Cobra Command or like they should like they should be doing something really cool with like an 80s soundtrack. Yeah. Maybe like He-Man's there. POWs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Instead, they killed over a thousand people. Oh, that do you know? Uh, I don't know if soldiers. you had said it already. Do you know how ma- how many guys there were in this? For I feel like it'd be a small company. Uh, forty five. Forty five. Forty five killed a thousand non combatants. Yeah. Forty five psychopaths. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. See, like that is what I'm talking about. That's a horror story. That is not a war story. That is a straight up horror story. Right. And that's not to say that every American soldier. No, of course not. Was. Yeah. The majority of them weren't. The majority of them were kids who didn't want to be there, but got drafted and were just trying to stay alive and make it home to their families. Yeah. But some of them were Tiger Force and some of them were dyed in the wool psychopaths. Yeah, I mean, it's like so many historical figures that we've seen, like Vlad the Impaler, like people who are truly sick and should not be able to do whatever they want that thrive in wartime and are lauded for it because it's like, well, you're defeating the enemy. So keep it up. You know, like there's, yeah, well, here's what's real scary. It's statistically impossible that there just happened to be 45 psychopaths put into one company together. This is, uh, from like a psychological and I guess sociological point of view, uh, this is probably the influence of a couple of really, really, really bad psychopaths, or just one. Right, and then this that, hive mind just, comes up. Yeah, yeah, and it's just crazy. Started catching like, and you know, a, an entire group's mentality changed. It's not unlike the cult episode that we did, like where suddenly people were doing things where normally if a group here started doing that, uh, the ATF would swoop in real quick and right. shut that shit down. Uh, where, you know, in war, it's like, 
no one, at least in Vietnam, no one was really looking. Yeah. No, not till later. Ooh. And considering that this is a military outfit, there was one guy in charge. And that means there was one man making this stuff happen. Right. And saying, this is okay. And it all sounds very tactical. It all sounds very much... You know, as much as it's fun to cheer on the Inglorious Bastards in that movie, like the whole scalping thing comes from Aldo. And it seems like there was one guy who's a psychopath, but also probably a skilled warrior who said, we're going to go shock and awe on every person that we encounter. And that's how we're going to gain ground. Like sometimes that's just the thought process. Um, Mm -hmm. Doesn't excuse it, but it's a war tactic that has been done in the Crusades and, you know, the Napoleonic Wars. It, it just always happens. There's always those people who say the trick is to become like animals and just mm-hmm. to destroy everything in our path. Pretty crazy. So mm-hmm. right, let me ask you, Theo, because I have a few little things that could probably pick us up <laughs> since uh-huh. this is pretty bleak. But I want to make sure you got all your Vietnam stuff out of the way. Yeah, I well, want to hear a little bit about Agent Orange. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, have, I have two things that i could fill a couple minutes with i'll save i'll save one of them for another episode but agent orange we'll talk about yeah because i I feel like that's a that's a pretty big deal uh so this is it's another example it it ties in really well with a lot of the stuff i've been talking about the american military using their new toys and not really understanding the effects uh so the president of Vietnam, you know, this, this, well, southern Vietnam, uh, the country that was being invaded by communists, he, in 1961, he petitioned the American government at that time, uh, led by President Kennedy, John, uh, God rest his soul. Uh, so the Vietnamese president, Ngo Dinh Diem, I'm butchering that, I am sorry, uh, he requested herbicides to use in Vietnam. Mm. Uh, so the American military authorized what they called Operation Ranch Hand, which was their going to be their introduction of herbicides to the Vietnam War. Because Vietnam was... We, we think about it in terms of being this war that took a couple of years when in actuality it took decades yeah because it started in the 50s in small scale um skirmishes and combat and then it went through the 60s and then once lbj took over after kennedy died he made it into a full-fledged war but it had been these people had been living in hell for generations yeah so the the they wanted to bring in herbicides not just to, you know, get the weeds out of the garden so the new cucumber crop gets fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I lost my place there for a second. <laughs> it's, this, it's like the second cucumber rolled out of your mouth. Everything just, like, you, you're, you just shut down. <laughs> it really did because I took a second. Like, why cucumber? It's like it's like you're it's cucumber like your code word. A- it's like you're the Manchurian candidate, and you like heard cucumber, mm. and all of a sudden you went into like this bizarre like mental state. Yeah, I could have said rice. It would have made there's fucking context for rice. Anyway, okay. So they the the point of the herbicide was twofold. One, it was going to – they were going to spray it on the land. It was going to kill 
um, vegetation to take away area that the enemy can hide behind because Vietnam is covered in thick, dense jungles. Yeah. So they're taking away areas that the enemies can hide. They're taking away enemies' uh, food supplies, too. They're not going to be able to live off the lands like a lot of them were. Um, the second really more sinister point of it was that they were going to drop it on – well, they did drop it on lands that were farms and villages. And the point was so that these all these people who were living independent – you know, they, it, it was primitive. They didn't have electricity, but they lived off the land. They farmed. They were self-sufficient. All of that would go away, and they would be forced to move into the cities, which were U.S. controlled at the time. Mm. So they they were forcing um, dependence on the government to their own people. Mm. So uh, Operation Ranch Hand went into effect, and they were using what were known as the Rainbow Herbicides. Like I said, a lot of really great names for really horrific shit. So um, they had a couple. There was Agent Blue, and there was Agent Pink, and there was Agent White that all had you know different effects, but the most popular was Agent Orange. So they would spray Agent Orange over the lands, and it would kill vegetation and have literally no other bad effects ever. <laughs> Yay! It's it's perfect. Yeah. We still use it on our crops. It's yeah. harmless. <laughs> uh, so they, by 1971, because this went on for a decade, uh, they had uh, dropped, because they the main way they would use it would be to drop it out of planes, but they would also have hookups for tanks to spray it, and then just, you know, simple, like, backpacks for infantrymen. But by 1971, 12% of South Vietnam, South Vietnam had been sprayed. Which, wow. when... Yeah, which yeah, doesn't sound like a big number, but when you think about 12% of an entire country... Right, that would be like the entire Northeast of yeah, the United States if that happened as 12% of our country. Thousands of miles. Yeah. Um, so, turns out Agent Orange isn't really good for people. Makes you, makes you cough and makes you dance funny. Right. Uh, well, yeah, that's that's some of the symptoms. <laughs> Coughing is definitely some of the symptoms, and I mean, you can't really dance great if you have epilepsy. But epilepsy's uh, bad too, I guess. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna read just some of some of the hits. Uh, so health problems from Agent Orange include Hodgkin's disease, uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, leukemia, uh, Parkinson's prostate cancer respiratory cancer uh soft tissue sarcoma so it it damages living things on a genetic level Mm -hmm. and the vietnam war ended in the 70s uh vietnamese people are still experiencing problems because of it because it's just soaked into the land and there's still babies born with agent orange Induced birth defects, which I will read some to you now. Um, cleft palates, spina bifida, heart defects, and hydrocephalus, which is when babies are born with little bodies and giant heads. Right. Yeah. Um, and in case you are wondering, yes, the American soldiers who were exposed to it did get cancer. And our government, I'm sure, did not pay to treat them. No, I'm just gonna um, just going out on a limb here, right? <laughs> and as early as '65, the international community 
was trying to stop this because it's clearly chemical weapons. But the the it's amazing because the United States government, the whole United States government, got off on a technicality because their reasoning was that, well, it's not a weapon. So, you know, right. We can't be we can't get in trouble using chemical weapons, but it's not a weapon. So I think there's there's a very clear theme here, like people who are listening and thought, oh, it's an episode about war probably or maybe might have suspected that we were going to talk a lot about guns. But I think in both World War One and Vietnam, the fact that we're talking so much about chemical warfare, I think, says a lot because, like you said, it kills cells. Like, mustard gas is the same way. It literally, like, kills off DNA. And all of these things do that. And it, it really hits this large scale. Like you said, kids are still born today with these problems. It's the same as, like, an A-bomb. Like, we look at an A-bomb and we think... That was the worst thing anyone's ever done. It's the most devastation everyone's ever done. And in ways that's true, but in a much more sinister way, things like Agent Orin and Orange and Sarin gas and these things, that is why even during wartime, it's like you can't do that. I mean, we still mm-hmm. do because we're, you know, running the show. But it's there. That's the, to me, that's like the most horrifying thing about war are chemical attacks because they kill generations of people and the earth itself like there's it's it's almost too much to wrap your head around how much damage can be done by these things yeah and what's scary is unlike something like a nuclear blast where everybody would rush in and you know try to help out whatever country was affected by that uh because it's very visible the problem is with something like agent orange is it unfolds over a couple of decades and it's not something that can that you're not going to you're you're not going to be able to repeatedly snap it and put it in magazines to make people care and the sad fact of humans is we stop caring about things after a while yeah um and, and i imagine it's it's almost worse like something like agent or in short uh the long lasting effects of mustard gas where it's just uh, time goes by, and you're still very inflicted, uh, afflicted by this thing, and everyone else has moved on. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and in the case of Vietnam, it sounds like they're still having problems with it. And like, when was the last time anyone was like, "I wonder what's going on with the Agent Orange we sprayed in the '60s?" There, yeah. You know? And even in places like the Middle East that has always been in constant war, I think it was Vice. There was a, some short documentary that I watched about. Uh, Iraqi children today that are growing up with horrible birth defects, not just for, not from like gases, but even just the amount of like artillery used in the region and how that can poison the earth and the water supply. And if you wage war anywhere for several decades, you are probably killing off and, and, and harming people for a century afterwards, if not more. And it is hard to see because if you hear that people in a foreign country are all dying from cancer in mass, you might think, wow, cancer is a bitch, huh? And without actually looking at the reality of like, no war from foreign invaders is a bitch. Um, and maybe that's a little too political. I'll back off if it is. But I think that's the, <laughs> that's the thing that we don't think that we don't think about when, when wars end. We don't, I think we think, oh, thank God the war has ended. 
And it's still such an uphill battle for so many people for generations to come. It's it's pretty unthinkable. Yeah, I mean, there's no there's no clean war. I mean, even we, we think to things we learned about about the, the American Revolution and like the idea of soldiers in these really neat costumes lining up with muskets and taking turns with shots at each other. Uh, they're still launching giant balls of metal at other people and that just rips through their flesh and destroys their insides. Right. So there, there's no version of war where it's not a nightmare hellscape. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Nick, cheer us up with some wacky World War One weapons. <laughs> okay, so I have a very <laughs> short list. I'll, I'm literally just going to read them and we can laugh and comment and then we can be done with this whole sticky mess. So... <laughs> So there's some World War One, but these are kind of like across the board. Um, I originally started making a list of horrifying weapons that clearly very quickly turned into ridiculous weapons. So that's why we're going to end on something funny. So uh, to start out with, have you guys heard of Project X-Ray? No. Okay. So this was during World War Two, and it never really quite got off the ground, but it went very far into the development phase. So the plan was... Penguin style from Batman Returns to strap timed incendiary devices to thousands of bats all at once. And oh then, God, I have heard of this. Yeah, and they would release the bats into the to the area because Jap- not only was Jap- Japan like heavily forested, but m- almost all of their homes were made entirely of wood. So the idea is the bats would go settle in people's rafters, trees, everywhere, and then they would all explode at the same time basically to the effect of a small nuclear warhead because there's so many bats with bombs strapped to them at once that's the best thing i've ever heard <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> why would they call it why would they call it pro- project x-ray though i have I they should have called so it project sonar or yeah, something death like, cloud they're, they're could have project been bats. dracula <laughs> project <laughs> Leatherwing. Be, because a, a grouping uh, of bats is called a cloud yeah like why would they not call a death cloud <laughs> i don't yeah. know i don't know maybe maybe the guy who ran it just had a neat nickname and he was called like Colonel X-Ray or something like that. Um, But yeah, they would basically, it would become a weapon of mass destruction. It never got off the ground, but not because they thought it was a bad idea. The war just ended. So like, it was in the works and they were like, oh, the team working on it must have been like, this is going to be great. The bats, it's going to be the biggest thing. And then they didn't really... Hey guys, the war's over. Oh man, the shipment of bats just got here. Yeah, they weren't what are we going to do with 40,000 bats? <laughs> yeah, you know that wouldn't have worked the way they wanted it to. Like, only, like, the, the bats would all blow up at different times. Right. Like, or they would, it just, would only be some of them. They like, would just all blow up in whatever weird facility they were housing thousands oh, no, of yeah. the bats. bats migrated to New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the first one. That one's fun. Uh, there's also Stargate Project, which I just have in parentheses next to it, stupid, to remind myself of what this is. <laughs> so this started in the 70s. This is a real thing. Military intelligence, uh, they turned to sort of like self-described clairvoyance and mediums and, you know, spiritual people that could define the future in their own minds. And they would literally like consult with them on enemy movements and the outcome of like future campaigns. So this was an actual research thing. Now you'd think, all right, we tried that for a couple months. It was all a bunch of bullshit. The project lasted from the 70s until 1995 when it got moved from military intelligence to the CIA. And I guess at that point, the CIA got all the documents. It was like, okay, we're shutting this down. 
And the CIA has done notoriously dumb and weird shit. So for them to be like, yeah, we're not behind Stargate Project <laughs> says a lot, this, I think. This was going on at the same time that people were just starting to listen to the Bare Naked Ladies. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is a really good comparison for Timeline. So a uh, couple more. So have you guys seen clips, the famous clip of, of Alex Jones like ranting about bombs that turned the frogs gay i yeah. sure have so that's him being in- insane of course but it actually is kind of based in a real thing it was never used but there was a 1994 it was basically one lab report so it was probably just one dumbass like researcher who got fired afterwards but he released a report on like ideas for basically chemical non-lethal chemical bombs among them was a stink bomb which is pretty obvious it would just stink up the area a sweat bomb. I think, I'm sorry, we need more women in power. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. What if we just, like, fart on them all and they all just, like, smell it at the same time? <laughs> so there's this stink bomb, the sweat bomb, which was supposed to release some kind of chemical that would, like, make people overheat and profusely sweat. Um, but it didn't yeah, really... nobody wants to go to war if they're sweaty. <laughs> it's, 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 to, it's to basically, like, kill the enemy's funds because they're buying so much, de- like, Old Spice just from all the, <laughs> all the antiperspirant. So there's the sweat bomb. There's the halitosis bomb, which doesn't smell like bad breath. It gives you bad breath. I don't know why that's supposed <laughs> to make you stop fighting. Um, and then, of course, the coup de grace of the U.S. Air Force report was, wasn't called this in the report, but came commonly known in military circles that knew about it as the gay bomb, because it was an actual theoretical plan to release a massive amount of aphrodisiac into the air that would make soldiers <laughs> want to stop fighting and fuck each other. <laughs> Just the, which honestly I think is great I think if that can happen we should definitely do that Everyone will enjoy themselves Way more on both sides In some consensual like, fun And what if amazing. they What if they in theory all Just fuck each other and then go back to fighting <laughs> Right like who says Who says that they're not just gonna bang And they'll be like well that was great We should do that more often but in the meantime Let's go back to killing you know the what? I, 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 that took a lot of the stress out. I feel a lot better. <laughs> I Let's just needed the release, man. I've got all this pent-up nut. Um, so that was. Pretty- I'm just trying to imagine what weird, repressed, probably Christian individual came up with all these goofy-ass weapons. There's no way that that guy wasn't a closeted homosexual himself. Because it sounds yeah. just as much... It sounds more like a fantasy than an actual military tactic. It sounds more like, yeah, let's just like see if it works. Let's like videotape and just see if all these guys start fucking each other. <laughs> <laughs> so that one was pretty good. Um, there's also, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. Yeah. They've looked into yeah. all kinds of crazy shit over the years. But they are still, I think, pretty sure, this. yeah, this is still an ongoing project. They're working on remote-controlled spy insects, like moths and co- uh, cockroaches. Oh, yeah, I've seen stuff on that. That's freaky. So that's actually kind of really pretty cool. It's like what makes it so freaky. Yeah, it's like nano cameras and stuff. And, and you can literally control where the moth goes so that people see a moth, and it's actually a mini. It's like very future tech, kind of. Um, 
Yeah, so all of that. And then I saved my favorite for last. This, then you guys have probably heard of this, but I don't know if you heard about it in as much detail because I didn't. So the uh, Cetacean Intelligence Mission is ongoing since the 1980s, and it's the use of trained naval dolphins. So what I had heard about this before seems pretty straightforward. So they would train the animals to like investigate underwater minefields. So it would protect warships by going in. And I don't know if it was like sending the dolphins and see if they explode or if it was <laughs> bomb sniffing dolphins. I kind of don't want to know either way. Um, but the best part about it to me and that I was literally like chuckling my, to myself last night was that they would even equip them, and there's pictures of it, of, like, dolphins. Look up cetacean, intelligent mission. There's pictures of dolphins with, like, basically an armband on their fin that has a little dart gun on it. And if <laughs> well, yeah, they don't want their dolphins going to war on arms. They were training them. That'd be ridiculous. They were training them to shoot, like, enemy divers, which I don't know how often divers play a factor in, in battle situations. Why wouldn't they just train the dolphin to bite the guy? <laughs> but... but because it's almost, I wonder if they did it just because it's embarrassing. Like, could you imagine a more punk ass way to go out in battle than being shot by a dolphin? <laughs> <laughs> just your last thought being like, oh fuck, a dolphin shot me. <laughs> Why, it's a dolphin, a cuddly dolphin, the clowns of the sea. Oh no, he's got a gun! And just the fact that the program's been going on for over 30 years, at least one person must have been shot by a dolphin. I don't know if it was a <laughs> yeah. trainer or an actual enemy combatant, but there's yeah. no way that there isn't someone in the ground right now or at the bottom of the sea who didn't die from being shot they, by a dolphin There must dart. have been some kind of ray of light to, to, to keep them that long trying to get dolphins to shoot people. <laughs> Something must have gone right at least once. Right, it had to show up as an as an improved tactic. Although I'm sure if it was shut down, Trump would definitely bring it right back just because it sounds cool. So it's yeah. like you know we need more dolphins on our like uh, uh, you know, the way you kill a bad g dolphin with a gun is a good dolphin with a gun or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> we need dolphins with guns in our schools to protect our children. The only way this makes sense. Is if somehow they really went past their training and dolphins have actually been disguising themselves and running and becoming presidents <laughs> for the past like 15, 20 years. See, we're so like the last bunch of presidents have been dolphins. We've been so worried about chimps and gorillas with the uh, Planet of the Apes movies when the real enemies that we've been arming all along are the dolphins. <laughs> uh. Yeah, so I think that's probably the best way to go out on this because it just doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. yeah. Thank oh, you for man. that. So this was fun. Um, I'm trepidatious because it'll be sad, but I'm also really excited to get back into this on World War II um, when we record that episode. So Yeah, there is a whole lot of information on that one that we're not ignoring. We just wanted to give it do our due diligence yeah. and give it a, its own episode so we don't yeah. have to gloss over anything. And we and, and if you love Nazis, and statistically these days probably forty percent of you do, uh, you're gonna love that episode. Depressing. That's so depressing. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is a blast. Uh, th this is, thanks, guys. This is an anti-Nazi pro-dolphin podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh man. <sighs> All right. Yeah, that was that was fun. Well, yeah. Thanks, guys, and thanks for listening. Uh, we will be happy to come back to you. We know we've been a little slow on the release dates. Thank you for being patient with us. We've got some plans in the works that are really exciting and. We think we've got topics coming up that you're going to love and maybe a few ways to switch up the format that might be kind of interesting from time to time. So stick with us and and check it out as we go. Yeah, drop us a review. uh, Shoot us an email if there's anything you want us to cover. You just want to say hi. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. You just want to talk about your favorite armed aquatic mammals. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're all game for it. All right. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. Bye. (laughs)